Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Sacred Sunday, and I want to welcome everybody back. I am back from uh, a year hiatus. I was having several surgeries, and now I'm back, and I'm blessed that many miracles happened um, while I was gone, and uh, I have been restored, and I'm alive to be with you this morning. So let's start out by saying the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I do want to welcome you. Uh, this morning we are back on First Peter chapter 5, and this is the last uh, chapter before we go on to Second Peter. And I want to wish everybody, last week we had a, uh, Easter, and this Sunday is actually uh Greek Orthodox and Orthodox Easter. So Christos Anesti, Christ is risen, and that's why we're here. And we have faith that we're going to be saved and that um, that we're all together in this. And I know worldwide we are now on lockdown because of the coronavirus. Uh, it's been quite an experience, you know, uh, not being able to join all of us to church together, but we seem to be even growing closer as we're able to go to the internet and also through our prayers to see each other in church and still worship and bring ourselves closer to our higher power. And uh, I wish everybody love and safety for you and your families. And my heart goes out to all those that we have lost around the world. And I had a, a strange feeling that uh, so many have been lost because of this uh, strange virus that it's almost preparing us for what has been told that would be from Revelation that the end of what we know now. And um, what I think this virus has done is uh, created a lot of martyrs. So this is not without purpose. People aren't dying in vain, and um, God makes something good out of everything. And uh, because they're martyrs, this reminds me of something that happened, you know, here in America on 9-11. I had an experience just the night before 9-11 that, you know, thousands of people died together. And because they're martyrs, God gathers them up to him like flowers to himself because, you know, they're the forerunners. They're the martyrs. And, um there's a lesson in this for all of us and just hold tight to each other, pray for each other. And, um, for those that are recovering, we'll get stronger behind this. And, uh, nothing was without purpose. We don't understand what's happening right now, but we have to comply with as many of the, uh, safety measures that we've been given to do. So, um, that's that's what I just want to tell you this morning that my that my heart and prayers go out to everybody, and I love you all very much. And uh, let's not forget about each other. And I found that what's happening in my small little town here in Southern California, that all the the people are coming together. Some people have come to help me. I was uh, injured. And they came and took my trash out for me. They delivered supplies. And I'm grateful for those people and the helpers. And I, in turn, was able to donate, you know, some other things. And, you know, it's what, let's, what, we, let's just share now. Don't be scared, you know. And uh, 
say your prayers all the time and remember to that what I'm doing is lighting candles and burning incense and saying prayers to God in Jesus' name every morning. And uh, I've done that all my life anyway, but even more important now to remember you have your little prayer corner and, you know, keep your prayers going. So let's turn to First uh, Peter chapter 5. And remember last time in Fourth Peter, there is some suffering and there's grieving and uh, there's things that we had to go through. So um, this time we hear from Peter, Jesus' right-hand man in the Gospels. Yep, that Peter. He pretty much agrees with James in a bunch of things. These guys must have been tight. Here are his thoughts. Suffering can be good. It's all part of God's plan, so no worries. Whatever you do, don't start sinning just because times get tough. God will not be amused. Christians should act like the newborn babies that we are metaphorically speaking, of course, that we are. They need spiritual milk to feed them and clean diapers. They also need to keep their behavior in line. That means listening to authority figures. Anarchy is out. Slaves should obey their masters. Uh, What? And wives, well, you know, your husband is in charge, right, gal? Well, anyway, this may not fly now, but this is what it says in the Bible. So I'm going along with the good book. It's important that everyone, for everyone to stay in line because Jesus will be coming back to judge everyone very shortly, and it's for real this time. So let's go to read First Peter chapter 5. It says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as you fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but under voluntary, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but for eagerness, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, proving to be examples to the flock. And with the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading glory, crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he may exalt you in the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. And be of sober spirit and be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, and establish you to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So that was extremely beautiful. So let's go on to, to the concluding remarks. We're on First Peter chapter 5, verse 12. Though Sylvanus, our faithful brother, for I also regard him, 
I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends greetings, and so does my son, Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love, and peace be to you, all who are in Christ. Now, let's read the notes. If we're going back to, excuse me, 5, chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, elders. The elders are to feed and lead, but not lord over it and be example to their people. And on verse 5-4, I'm reading the notes now. I'm reading the Ryrie Study Bible. This is my favorite Bible. Okay, so verse 4, Christ is also the good shepherd and the great shepherd. And he has a ground of glory. Faithful church leaders who are often dishonored on earth will receive glory in heaven from Christ, the chief shepherd. And victorious athletes were awarded floral crowns, which quickly faded away. And then the crown that God offers is, of course, the eternal crown. And 5.5, five, humility. Christianity made humility a major virtue. It is an attitude of mind that realizes that one is without any reason for distinction in God's sight. 7. says he cares for you. It matters to him concerning you. He cares about us. The word devour also describes that Red Sea did to the Syrian Egyptians. Remember when uh, they were escaping Egypt and the Red Sea fell in on uh, Egyptians. And so Satan wants to completely drown or swallow up our testimony. Wow. Let's read that again. So Satan wants to completely drown out or swallow up our testimony. Knowing that other Christians were also suffering should help strengthen. Uh, so we are never, never, ever alone. And the big reminder is, so next week we're going to go on chapter Second uh, Peter, chapter 1. And I have this little pamphlet that I wanted to, to read to you. And it's about why we make the sign of the cross. And I really uh, love this little pamphlet, and I've kept it for a very long time. It's turned yellow. But I wanted to read this to you. And it says, The Powerful Sign of the Christian Faith. The first act of a child learns in religion is the sign of the cross. Parents teach their children to put their three fingers together and the two fingers down on the palm and then trace the sacred symbol over the head, heart, and shoulders. It is an act that will be used in in a lifetime. It is never unlearned, never changed, and often is the last conscious act made before departing from this world. This custom is as old as the Christian faith. By the third century, Tertullian could write about it, and at the beginning and during the performance of all that we do, when we go in and out of the house, when we dress ourselves, when we lie down to rest, and the fact of the sign of the cross, this act serves as identification by blessing himself, a person in essence says, I am a Christian, I belong to Christ. It is an act that marks back to our baptism when we were born to the family of Christ. The act serves as a confession of faith. The two main beliefs of the Christian religion are possessed by this sign. The three fingers together 
express our belief in the Holy Trinity, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The two fingers down express our belief in the incarnation. God the Son became man and became our, came to earth to save us. The act of the prayer at, at times of t- temptation, the hermit St. Anthony used to say there is no more powerful means to overcome temptations and gain the victory than the sign of the cross. In private prayer and in public worship, making the gesture of faith is a profound witness to our religion. So simple. When, when a young child does it so profound, it embraces the totality of Christian faith. Surely the sign of the cross is part of the priceless heritage that is ours. And that's from the Orthodox Bulletin. And I really, I love that little pamphlet. So let's do this together as we think about how God came to earth and gave his only begotten son for us. This is the basis of the whole Christian church. That's, that's what we commemorate, commemorate today, that Jesus rose, rose from the dead after the third day. He came to save us. He came to die for our sins. We were born in sin if we would want to go all the way back to Adam and Eve, but all that's over now. We don't have that sin anymore because we're new in Christ. We ask in Jesus' name to watch over us and to teach us that he came to be our Savior we're not a slave to the old rules anymore. It's not like that anymore. We're in the middle of a profound change, change upon the whole earth. And this is the time where we reevaluate ourselves, get our priorities in order, and help others. You, our service to others will actually save us. Don't forget about that. And service to others gets us out of our own selves and our own fear, and we go help somebody else. Remember that. And I'm going to read you a little story. And this is out of our faithful guidepost. And let's see. This story is about the man in room 4014 by Ruth Barrow Barr. And she's from Stoughton, Wisconsin. Sometimes experiencing something really terrible isn't as difficult as surviving it. I had a chance to learn that as a nurse at Corpus Christi Naval Hospital. It was there where I met John, a Navy flight instructor stationed at the jet base nearby in Kingsville, Texas. Tall, blonde, blue-eyed, and with a smile that melted more hearts, I felt certain than mine alone. He was also wise, funny, and full of life. But as we continued... To date, and our relationship grew, I became aware that his generous and understanding spirit I loved most of all. Our romance seemed like a dream come true for me, and then, very much like a dream, it ended abruptly. Late one gray December afternoon in 1978, word came that a jet had lost power during a low-level landing approach to the Corpus Christi Naval Airfield. To avoid a collision, the pilot had banked the plane away from a mobile drill rig moored at the bay and crashed nearby and I'm nearly a mile from the hospital where I work. The word passed quickly through our small hospital staff. The plane had gone down, but there were a dozen squadrons in our region. 
and John was outstanding pilot with years of experience. Of all the pilots, I reason that surely had to have been someone other than John who crashed. I dialed his office just to be reassured by his voice. A second later, I was greeted by John's commanding officer. His words, painfully gentle, ripped the earth from under my feet. Ruth, I have something to tell you. John was dead. I took time off for the funeral, and I felt lost and aimless. How could I go back to working and buying groceries and cleaning my apartment as if everything were just the same? When I returned to the hospital, a new patient had been admitted on our floor, in room 4014, as a civilian of humanitarian case. He was a small, round man, a scrub, with a scrubby beard and hard little eyes. He had a badly infected leg wound that required strict bed rest and intravenous antibiotics. But it quickly became clear that he had another problem, one that was a lot more difficult to treat. Everything that about that man was foul, his filthy body, his groping hands, his horrid language, and more than anything, the pleasure he seemed to get from making nurses uncomfortable. As hard as we tried to look beyond his behavior, each of us invariably left that room as quickly as possible, practically ejected down the hall into the hall by a stream of his obscenities. The man in 4014 simply didn't care about anybody, least of all himself. He refused baths, he refused to dress completely or to shave, and refused to allow us to keep his room even marginally in a state of order. About the only thing he agreed to was being left alone, which our frustrated staff began to do willingly for two weeks into his stay, I stood at the nurse's station, mixing his last dose of antibiotics for the evening shift and stewing over my latest encounter with him. I had tried to get him to wear a robe over the hospital pajamas that covered him so inadequately Whitley. In language as cold and raw as January wind that screamed past his window, he made it quite clear that I would, what I would do with the robe and that my other good intentions. Now I had to face him again to administer antibiotics. My agitation must have shown on my face because one of the other nurses shook her head and said, that guy in 4014 again, huh? She grimaced. I can't stand to be in the same room with him. It must be even worse for you. Her emphasis puzzled me. What do you mean, I asked. She looked startled and then uncomfortable. I thought she knew, but she had my whole attention now. That guy, she explained, was working on the mobile rig that her pilot swerved to avoid. If they hadn't been there, John probably could have ejected safely. I wanted to scream. Tears blurred my eyes, and I fought to steady my trembling hands as they mechanically set the medication tray on the counter. How could I save the man in 414? How could he be alive when John was dead? I took a deep breath. I had promised myself and God that I wouldn't ask why such unfair things happened. I know God is our Father and that he loves me and John. The image of John's handsome, patient face flashed before me, and suddenly I realized I haven't lost everything of John. I still have all the sense of meaning and purpose that he so often shared with me. What would he have thought about the man in 414? 
John believed in God's guiding hand and that every human being had worth. He thought that things happened for a reason. He believed in handing over to God what we can't manage ourselves. I made my way down to room 4, 4014. I stood just a moment outside the closed door and prayed silently, God, I don't know why you've put this patient and me together. I guess I need to. Just help me reach him and give him what he needs. I opened the door and went in. Now what, he growled. Only your shot, I assured him. He nodded curtly and turned to stare out the window. The base sparkled silver in distance and brisk winds tossed the waters in the moonlight. His image in the glass reflected a hundred haunt excuse me his image in the glass reflected a haunted aspect I hadn't seen before. It looked cold out there tonight, I said. It'll never look the same to me again. He stared down at his crumpled bedclothes. How do you mean? I asked. He shrugged awkwardly. Oh, it's just that crash. You know, the jet that went down the bay at the while back. He pressed on without waiting for an answer and not and not noticing how I had frozen in place. I was out there on that rig when that plane went down. He was almost talking to himself now, staring out the window. I've never seen anything like that before. One minute the plane was up there, and the next his words trailed off, and he looked back at me with another shrug and an expression of pain. I met his eyes, willing myself not to cry. What kind of response did I give him? What kind of answer did I, my, did I have myself? Before I could gain enough control to say anything, his face changed, shock sharpened his features. You're the one, aren't you, he asked. I waited for him to explain. No, I knew what he was asking. You're the nurse who was dating that pilot, aren't you? I had heard of that you were here. I'm... I'm sorry, he said. He was rough, sun-brown forehead wrinkled over the eyes that never seemed to waver between his usual defensive glare, and, and he weren't turned to the look turned to genuine concern. That's okay, I told him when I found my voice again. It's hard getting past something like that, whether you actually knew the person or just happened to know you. Believe me. I understand. I can't stop thinking about the accident. Gone just like that. Why? Why should that pilot's time be up and not mine? How are you supposed to live with that? I mean, am I supposed to to owe somebody something now? They say the good die young. He chuckled, a humorless bark to the nervous edge. I guess that doesn't say much for me, huh? I groped for a response. His questions were ones I had asked myself, and I suppose I might have felt as defensive as he sounded if I hadn't lived for one thing. Beyond all my doubts and questions, I believed in God, not just in his existence, but in his active, caring part of our lives. Words that came to me strongly. 
It was as if I had borrowed John's strength and faith. I don't have an explanation for why things happen, I said, either good or bad. I said, but I do believe God has his reasons and that he didn't give any of us life to waste. We just have to stop going and doing our best. We just have to keep doing and not stop doing our best to make something worthwhile of it. You never know when you might make a difference. He was still for a moment, then nodded slowly. I finished taking care of him in silence, getting only an absent nod when I said goodnight. The next day I made my way down to room 4014 without the old feeling of dread. What haunted my patient wasn't so different from my own ghost, and I now saw him in a different light. When I pushed the door open, I had to suppress a gasp. The man in 414 was smiling at me, hesitantly and shyly. He was clean-shaven, his hair was newly combed, and for once he was dressed in clean pajamas and a robe. For some people, there would not have been a remarkable changes, but for this man, they were bold steps. I felt happier than I had for a long time. I couldn't help but wonder which one of us had learned more. Maybe 4014 had simply needed to know it was our right to have survived when someone else didn't. Maybe I needed a reminder that I had to move on and make a new life without time. But one thing was clear. The man in 4014, I had both I, him and I had things left to do. May not be great, world-changing things, but then again, remembering his smile, I thought of the ripples in a pond of a tiny impact reaching out to ever-widening circles. What a lovely story. And I want to thank you all for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed that story. I really am really, really am grateful to be here with you today. And God bless you. God bless your family, your children. God bless those you worry about. God God bless those who are alone. And they're really never alone because we do have God and the angels and the Blessed Mother and Jesus, everybody on our behalf. You're very special, and you deserve all the love. And feel it in your heart and know that you are loved in this world, that we're never really alone. I pray for the health and safety for everyone. And also, God bless those who have passed from us and are now with our Heavenly Father in heaven. And someday we'll all be together again. Don't forget that. And let's, let's close out today. And I wish everybody a good morning. God bless you. And uh, you can contact me. If you want to email me, uh, write me at www.citizenmccain at hotmail.com. If you want to reach me, send me a note. And uh, join us next week when we start us at Computer Chapter 1. And let's close with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. God bless you. I love you. Most finish in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as we cross ourselves. 
and bless ourselves as we know we are blessed. God bless you. Take care. And I'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.